This is The Granite Beat, a podcast where we highlight New Hampshire journalists, ask them about recent stories they've published, and about what it's like to cover their corner of this small and interesting state. I'm Julie Hart, and I'm here with Adam Japshow. Hello. Whether you've heard the term or not, solutions journalism is a concept that likely informs the news you read, watch, or listen to, especially if it's locally produced. Our guest today is Leah Todd Lynn, who manages the New England region for the nonprofit Solutions Journalism Network. Leah started as a journalist working for newspapers in New York, Wyoming, and Seattle before joining SJN in 2015. Thank you for joining us, Leah. Hi, it's so good to be here. Leah, could you start off by defining Solutions Journalism for us and telling us why it matters? Sure. So Solutions Journalism is rigorous reporting on the responses to social problems, in addition to reporting on the problems themselves. So a lot of us as journalists are trained to really investigate and uncover problems that folks should know about in order to make some kind of a change. That, we think, is only half of the equation, though, and journalists should really be doing much more to give audiences information about what's working or what at least is being tried to address some of these problems. You know, if you give a room full of students a whiteboard and you ask them to write down as many problems in their community as they can think about, the whiteboard will be full, right, in just a couple of minutes. If you ask them to say, okay, well, what's actually working to make progress on any one of those problems in your community, I think it'll take a lot longer for people to be able to come up with information about what is actually making some progress. And journalists really think the same way. We're not trained to give a lot of attention to what's being tried to address some kind of a problem. So our organization was founded about 10 years ago to address that gap in local and national news. And our hope is that audiences will notice some kind of a change and they'll feel more connected, more interested, and more inspired by their local news organizations when those outlets give them information that they can use, and not just information that explains the problem but leaves folks feeling kind of helpless and without a sense of direction of, okay, who's doing something about that? So I think it matters because the sort of community that we want to live in is a community that doesn't just talk about the problem, right? But a community that's involved in and aware of potential solutions. And it also matters for the news business because as we think about, you know, declining circulations and a sort of challenging financial moment for local news that we're in, solutions journalism actually helps to make a better news product that we think people are more willing to pay for donate to, subscribe to, and and engage with. So that helps us as journalists, and it also helps communities, we think. Could you tell me when you personally first heard the term solutions journalism and at what point you decided or why you decided to leave your newspaper career to switch over to join the advocacy group? Yeah, it's, it's such a good question. And we make a pretty big distinction between solutions journalism and advocacy. So maybe I'll get to that in a second. We think this is really squarely in the field of news reporting. This is not advocating for a particular solution. It, it's, it's simply reporting on what's being tried and what results it's producing. So I first learned about solutions journalism when I was a reporter in a small town in Wyoming back in 2012, 2013. And I was covering education. And I did a lot of stories for the newspaper that had to do with issues in education all across the state. And Wyoming is home to one major tribal reservation. And there are two tribes that are living on this reservation. And so I did a series of stories about the education system 
on the Wind River Reservation in Wyoming. And one of the the things that we focused on was whether or not it made a difference to have Native teachers in the classroom, which was filled with predominantly Native students. And I looked into research that had been done about this issue and figured out that, in fact, there were better outcomes for students in terms of attendance, test scores, and family engagement when there were Native adults involved in and as part of the leadership of the schools uh, serving Native communities. And so that was one of my first sort of flashpoints or, or thoughts of like, wow, you know, news coverage shouldn't just be covering what's going wrong in schools, right? If all we're doing is telling people like how low these schools' test scores are and how they're behind the state averages in math and reading, and it, it doesn't give folks any sense of, okay, well, what can be done about this? And so the story that I just described, looking at, you know, I, I went to Native classrooms and spent the day in some of the classes with these teachers, and I think I was able to tell a different kind of story that to the reader felt a lot fresher. And for those communities, it was actually a much more accurate story that really reflected how they spend their days thinking about, okay, how can we solve problems for our communities? How do we make the future better for our kids? So I think the story resonated a lot more because of that. And I didn't know the term solutions journalism at the time, but in retrospect, that's exactly what I was doing. So the term came when, shortly after that series, I would say, I became aware of the work of the Seattle Times Education Lab, which was the very first solutions journalism project supported by the Solutions Journalism Network. And I applied for a job there and was accepted into the position of an education reporter on that team. And I think I remember, you know, when I saw the job application or the the job description for that Seattle job, I remember thinking the term solutions journalism sounded kind of fluffy. You know, like I'm here in journalism school to be this hard-nosed investigative reporter and, you know, I want to solve problems. But the more and more that I looked at what this concept was about and realized that these are the kinds of stories that I wanted to be telling and understood that, you know, these stories are as rigorous, if not harder to tell in some ways than stories just about the problem. There's lots of data There's lots and lots of research that goes into a solution story when it's done really well. And so I became more and more enamored with and and a believer in the concept and really felt like, you know, the news could be doing this much, much better than it is. Certainly there were people in pockets around the country that had been doing this to varying degrees, but our organization, I think, created a network of people to support one another to do this work, created lots and lots of resources for journalists to learn how to do solutions journalism better. And ultimately, I decided I wanted to get involved with with the group itself. So my first job for SJN was back in 2015 or 2016, I think. Could you give me an idea or could you share for our listeners how they might be able to tell if something that a piece of journalism that's in front of them was produced with a solutions mindset? How would that piece of reporting look different or sound different? One way to tell would be if you feel at the end of a news story that you've heard on the radio or seen on TV, if you feel a sense of, wow, there is something that can be done about this issue in my town. And I didn't know about that before. I think that's the key moment for an audience member to say, this is something different. This is solutions journalism. And the way we think about that on the journalist side is that there are four key parts to a a strong solutions journalism story. And the number one thing is, is this story about a response to a problem? 
And even if that response failed, even if it's a story about like, yeah, our town tried this thing, it didn't work out that well, but here's what we can learn from this effort that didn't turn out as expected, that can be a solution story too. So it doesn't have to be, you know, an effort that worked 100% of the time. I think solutions to social problems rarely are 100% effective. And it's much more a question of, well, how is that working? And in what ways is it not working? It's much more nuanced. So we talk about these stories being stories primarily about responses to problems. So does the story give meaningful detail about what this response is and how it works, how it came about? A good solution story should also have evidence. This is the second pillar or the second part of a good solution story. So how do we know that this response is working or not working? We also look for insights. So replicable insights or bits of information or takeaways that other communities can learn from. That's a a key part of the solution story as well. And then the last one is, does the story give some sort of information about limitations? So this is still good journalism. This is not public relations or advocacy, right? So we still, as journalists, have to talk about, well, what ways is this response still falling short? Or are there other areas of this complex social problem that aren't addressed by this response? So those are the four components that journalists and audience members can look for in a solution story. Is it a response to a problem? What's the evidence? Is there an insight that we can take away or learn from? And then what are the limitations? You mentioned that the Solutions Journalism Network has been around for about 10 years. How old is Solutions Journalism? I would say Solutions Journalism has probably been around for as long as journalism has existed. And in fact, we have been working a lot recently with members of the Black press and with community media and ethnic media around the country who have been doing this kind of reporting in their communities for a long time, probably before what we would call legacy or mainstream media outlets in the U.S. have been taking this approach. So in a way, we have a lot to learn from those communities that have been really looking for solutions for quite a long time. But I think the term came about in the early 2000s, and all our co-founders did was give it a name and start to say, you know, this is something that we should really be doing a lot more of, and here's why, and then tracking the impact of that kind of journalism in communities around the country. But good journalists have always been looking for ideas that are working locally, and also have been trying to understand what are communities doing, like ours, that we could learn from. So I think it, you know, from what I learned in my journalism training, it might fall under the category of explanatory journalism, if I had to put kind of a framework to it, but it certainly has grown in its kind of embrace by the the mainstream news media in the past decade or so. We've seen a real, real shift toward embracing solutions journalism um, since since our organization was founded in uh, 2012. It seems to speak to me to sort of two different ways of approaching journalism, one being more of a spectator or observer, pure observer where you are standing apart from a a situation or a development and you're simply describing what you're seeing versus someone who is a reporter who might see themselves as part of a community or invested in a community in some way and is hoping that their work might provide benefit to the community in helping them to find a solution. That's sort of the way that I think about it. Do you think that's accurate? To some extent, I mean, there's this question for me professionally today of what is the point of doing journalism at all? 
right? What is the point of uncovering a major issue of abuse or scandal? It's to make some positive benefit, right? Or to effect some change. Whether that change is toward more transparency and open government, whether that change is toward more effective decision-making in your community, whether that change is to lower the homeless population. I think you can make a strong argument that all journalists are invested to some degree in the outcome of their work. That's why they and we get involved in this field. Now, we are different from advocates who actually get involved in campaigning for a particular response or you know, participating in protests that we're covering, right? So there are those clear boundaries for our role in journalism. But I think there's maybe a bit more connection between those two ways of thinking. For me, um, you know, the reason why I got into journalism was to make the world a better place. And I think that that really animates a lot of people who ultimately find themselves dissatisfied with the way that news is done most of the time, which is this kind of endless barrage of negative headlines that, you know, leave you as the reporter really tired and burnt out from covering endless cycles of negativity and and pain in a community. And you can think about the effect on your audience, you know, who, who get sort of tired and run down of seeing that as the only picture of their community. So I think both, both sides are really hungry for something different. Not to say that journalists should move into an advocacy role, though. I want to be clear on that. What is the mission of Solutions Journalism Network? How does it go about that mission? And what barriers are standing in the way? So our mission is to advance the practice of solutions journalism so that the world can become a more equitable, sustainable place. And so our focus primarily for the last 10 years or so has been on news organizations, mostly in the United States. We have a very small but growing section of our work that is focused internationally with some projects in Europe and Africa, but most of our work has been domestic here in the U.S. So primarily, we work with news organizations and individual journalists who are interested in learning this approach. And the vast majority of our activities have been training-related activities. So we do workshops, we offer seminars, webinars now in the pandemic. A lot of our work has become remote. And we also do some funding. So we ourselves receive funding from organizations that are interested in supporting the local news ecosystem. And then we subgrant those funds sometimes to news organizations when we think it'll really make a difference to teach and embed this approach for the newsroom to really learn this skill and continue practicing solutions journalism long after our involvement goes away. So we teach solutions journalism. To some extent, we fund journalism and related activities. And in terms of barriers, you know, I think for a long time, there was a cultural bias in journalism that the only stuff that mattered was the big problem-focused, very heavy investigations, right? You think about the Boston Globe Spotlight team or uncovering the abuse in the Catholic Church and those sorts of hard-hitting gotcha investigations. And so that early on was a barrier for us coming in to say, you know, there's really this other sort of information that your community really wants and journalists are not providing. So we had to make that case to newsrooms in the early days. But I think there's been a shift recently. The Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, for instance, just hired their first leader of solutions journalism and now teaches this as a part of their journalism curriculum, which is just one example of how the real pillars of the journalistic community in the U.S. are starting to see the value of this practice and embrace it in a new way. 
So I think that cultural barrier has been one, one barrier that we've seen and addressed. And then the other has been, you know, Adam and Julie probably know this a lot. Everyone in local news today is wearing about 10,000 hats, right? Newsrooms in many cases are smaller than they used to be. And so it becomes a real challenge to say, okay, I have X number of hours in my day as an editor or a reporter. What are the stories that I can realistically do and do well, right? So I think the barrier to sustained practice in a newsroom really is about news reporters having enough time in their day. And seeing this as a priority to maybe give up on some of the lower value coverage, right? Turning around a press release or covering a local event in order to dedicate your time and your resources on this more enterprising work, which takes a little bit more time and in in the research and in the development of these stories. So those are two big barriers, I'd say, that we've honed our approach on over the years. So we've spoken to many of our guests about the sort of dynamic period that journalism is in right now, if we can put it uh, mildly. And a lot of the discussion has been around different ways that we could change the business model or budgetary discussions or media delivery. But it seems like what you're talking about is more of a fundamental how we do our work change. And I wonder if you see that as being an element that could stabilize news organizations and provide a clearer path for the future by changing the way that the way that we do our work and not just how we deliver that work or how we structure budgets. I think that's exactly right. And so there are a lot of innovations in the journalism landscape today that are about product, right? Everybody needs a, an email newsletter right now. There are a lot of innovations that are about the business model. You know, there are very big bets in philanthropy happening right now on nonprofit, not for profit, but nonprofit news organizations. And I think there's real value to that. But there are also for profit news organizations that have all kinds of models that are doing quite well for their communities and are able to sustain their operations. So there are these various innovations across product, business model, platform, you name it. And ours really cuts across all those different sectors and says, what is your audience willing to pay for? What is your audience going to come back to time and time again? And no gimmick in terms of an app on your cell phone or making the news really easy to use and digest is going to solve for the fundamental problem of the news being kind of a depressing product to read or engage with every day. And so our work is really centered on focusing on that problem and solving for that part of local news and making the news something that is a vital part of your day that helps you be a better member of the community. And that doesn't just involve reading about everything that's wrong with your town, but understanding, you know, the real change makers and the folks who are making a real difference. You gave us the example of the education system in the, on that reservation that you were covering in Wyoming. Are there any other like concrete examples that you like to share about how uh, solutions journalism can be different? Yes, I brought two examples that I looked up before we talked because I wanted to think about New Hampshire, New England, and the sorts of issues that our communities here have been facing. So the first example that I looked up is very recent and comes from the Berkshire Eagle in Western Massachusetts. Okay, so this is a story from a couple of months ago. The Berkshire Eagle is a newspaper in Western Massachusetts. And this community, like many places in New England, I, I'm sure in Laconia you can speak to this as well, is struggling with a really high cost of living, rents going up, housing prices increasing. 
And so this community was seeking for solutions and the, the newspaper sort of chimed in and started to say, okay, well, what is being tried to address some of these housing issues locally and farther afield? So the, the story, um, which I can maybe drop a link to in the show notes, or you can share with folks afterward, the story looks at a response that's being considered in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, which is near to where the Berkshire Eagle is is produced. And this is a story about a community that's looking at a property tax break for local residents who offer an affordable year-round rental on some portion of their property. So this would be something like if you own a duplex, you live in one half of it, and you rent the other half of it out to a local family or a local person, you could get a tax break on your property taxes as an incentive to do this more often and offer an affordable option for folks to stay and and live and work in your community. So Great Barrington is considering this, right? Hasn't been done before in their own community, but Providence, just a couple of hours away, has been doing this since 2004. So the newspaper did this interesting story looking at what Providence had done, why they did it, how well it had worked or not, and trying to understand what might this approach look like back home right? There's a discussion happening in our local select boards, housing committee to discuss this and maybe vote on it at the annual town meeting this year. Let's get some more information about what this looks like in real life. We don't have a track record here, but we can go to Providence and and ask, how well is it working? So in Providence, they had seen about a 30% increase in participation in this program over the last couple of years. They've seen an increase in long-term rentals available to locals. And they estimated that the city This is one of the main critiques of the program is that if you are offering a tax break, that tax funding and revenue is actually going to important things, right? Like schools and and roads. How are you going to make up that tax revenue? So the reporter asked Providence, okay, how much tax revenue do you estimate that this has cost the city over the last number of years? And the reporter found that it was only about $136,000 that the city has lost cumulatively in the length of this program. So that's in the grand scheme of things, pretty minor for a major city to offer this incentive that has created, they said about 113 more units that are affordable at or below market rate for the city of Providence. So this is a really interesting story from, you know, Massachusetts news organization looking at what a city in Rhode Island has done and trying to study, you know, what are the ways that it could work or might need to be adapted to fit, you know, the community of Great Barrington, which is obviously different demographically and geographically from Providence, but still an interesting solution story that I pulled out of our story tracker database online before this call today to show how that works. How might people learn more about the Solutions Journalism Network? So the first thing I'd send you to is that story tracker database where you can actually explore more than 10,000 solution stories from all over the world. There are more than a thousand news organizations categorized in that database and stories from all kinds of topics like arts and education to housing to COVID-19. There's been a ton, a ton of solutions journalism done on all kinds of issues related to the pandemic. So that story tracker database is available online for free, free to use. And then you can also go to our website, solutionsjournalism.org. And you can find out a lot more about who we are, our co-founders, and also the news organizations that we're working with today. Leah, I have a question for you. What advice would you give anybody who's interested in starting a career in journalism right now in this landscape that we're facing? That's a great question. I think what I'd say is to really reflect on 
what it is that brings you to this work. You know, I, I started in journalism because I was a very curious person who loved to talk to people. And I also loved to read and write. And the fact that I had a job at a newspaper out of college that paid me to do those things just felt like a total scam, you know, like someone's going to find out that this doesn't feel like work at all, you know, and then I'll be out of a job. But those, those were my initial things that attracted me to journalism. And I think what keeps me in journalism is something much deeper that I came to, you know, after now more than 10 years in the field, which is how important local news, credible local news and information is to every other part of our community. You know, if you want to make progress on any number of social issues, having a credibly informed community is really, really important to that end. And so that, you know, that's my focus today. I see how valuable local news is, but that's not how I thought about it when I was graduating college, you know? So I'd I'd encourage journalism students and folks who are considering a career in journalism to really understand that this is a civic mission. It is really an important part of our communities and keeping our communities, you know, healthy, safe, vibrant places to live and, and to just get curious about what their own inspirations are. You know, what is it that brings you to this work? And I think that'll really help journalists to stay resilient because in this time, you know, there are a lot of threats to journalists in the U.S., really serious ones, and not just threats to the viability of the business. You know, that's there, too. So journalists today, I think, have to be um, really clear on their mission, resilient, and also embracing of the innovations that are taking place. You know, on the one hand, it could be really overwhelming and kind of scary to say, like, wow, what is the news going to look like in 10 years, 20 years? You know, it might not look like what it looks like today, you know? And so that could be scary and intimidating and and make some people shy away. But the other way to look at that is to say, this is an opportunity to really try some new things, to reach communities, to meet communities' information needs. And I want to be part of that conversation. And so there's a lot more room for creativity in the platform and product space than ever before. So I think it's a really exciting time to be involved in journalism. And yet I think you have to be ready for that kind of constant innovation, right? And understanding, okay, this didn't work. Let's try this. Let's try this to, to serve our communities better. But it's a great question. I'd actually, I'd love to hear what both of you are thinking about that too. I know I'm not the interview here, but I'm a journalist. I can't help it. Tossing questions back to you. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that's run through a lot of the responses that we've had to that question are get back to that initial curiosity about just the personality type that leads people to journalism. And I think that there's always going to be people that are just want to find out what's going on in that building over there. And uh, if you call yourself a journalist and walk in with a notepad or or a recording device or something, uh, people will probably tell you. And I think that's if you're that kind of person, uh, I don't know what else you can do. I think it's interesting, Leah, that you talked about future innovation because I already see a lot of innovation in the world of journalism. You know, when I was studying journalism, it was definitely very clear cut, right? Like it's print journalism or it's broadcast journalism, and you could work for a newspaper or a television station or a radio station. And that was, those were the options. And I think there's just so many more options now, you know 
Um, community journalism, I think, is a really interesting area to explore. And there's a lot of need for more journalists in smaller communities who maybe are not always doing journalism with a capital J, but are helping us do the job that is shining the light on these issues that need to be talked about. Well said. I think there's room for all of that. You know, everyone plays an important part in in keeping a community informed. Well, Leah, I think we're just about out of questions. So we really appreciate that you took the time to speak with us today. I, I do have one thing that I'd like to go out on, though, which is to ask if you have anything that you're working on right now that you'd like to preview. Yes, I do. So this actually gets back to what we were just talking about in terms of innovation and new ways to serve audiences. So two of my projects right now are not focused in New England, but they have been inspired by a New England project. So this is work that has grown out of the local media project at Solutions Journalism Network. This is a five-year initiative to launch and support solutions-focused local news collaboratives in 15 communities across the U.S., One of the very first communities where we supported a collaborative was in New Hampshire. And the Laconia Daily Sun has been a great part. Yeah, I I see a fist pump there, Adam. That's great. The Laconia Daily Sun has been part of the Granite State News Collaborative for a long time. And this, this collaborative has really now become a beacon for the rest of the nation for how this is done and how a news collaborative that's focused on solutions reporting can change the conversation in a community and also raise more funding to support local news. So the Granite State News Collaborative inspired the creation of many other collaboratives around the U.S. The two I'm working with right now are in Dallas and Southern New Mexico, which are two communities that are geographically, culturally, you name it, you know, very different from Northern New England, right? But share some of the same issues and where we're taking a similar approach in terms of supporting the whole local news ecosystem there. So one thing I'll just mention in preview to keep an eye out for is in Southern New Mexico, our news partners there want to launch a text message-based news service to reach people along the Southern border of New Mexico with the border of the U.S. and and Mexico to reach these people in these very rural parts of the state that do not currently have access to local news in their communities. It's a very, very dispersed population. There are actually very few traditional news organizations operating in that part of the state, and those that do exist are quite small. So this collaborative in southern New Mexico wants to find a new way to reach folks with critical information. They're going to start with information about the COVID-19 pandemic and responses to different components of what the pandemic has done. And over the past year, they have reached so far 1,600 people all across the U.S.-Mexico border through very small one-on-one outreach and listening sessions where their bilingual reporter will go from town to town and set up for the day in a clinic, in a parking lot, outside a grocery store, in a church, and just talk with folks and gather their stories about what it has been like to weather the pandemic in this part of the country. So all of those folks now and all of that, all those insights that have come out of those interviews are now informing what this group is going to do, which is launch a text message service to reach those folks in a very non-traditional way, you know, but still fulfilling the mission of journalism, which is to inform and engage our communities. So I'm really excited about that. It is actually special for me because I, I moved here to New Hampshire from New Mexico. I was living in the northern part of the state. So it's great to be back and serving and working in that community as well. Text messaging, and that's one delivery um, means, which I hadn't even considered. 
Yes, you can look it up. Subtext has been doing a lot of work in this area. There are many news organizations that, you know, you can sign up for ongoing news alerts once a week. You can sign up for text message alerts when your favorite reporter has a new story that comes out. It's sort of an interesting way to kind of, you know, get to the places where people are, right, which is on our phones pretty much most of the day. And so it still is journalism. It's still bringing news and information, but it's just sort of tweaking how it gets there. And I think that's uh, one of the most exciting areas for me to really focus on. Well, Leah Todd Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Julie. Always fun to talk about this work. The Granite Beat is a project of the Granite State News Collaborative in partnership with the Laconia Daily Sun. We record at the Lakeport Opera House and our theme music is composed by Bob McCarthy. Thanks also to the Marlin Fitzwater Center at Franklin Pierce University for editing and other support. 